Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Pro Bowl voting is here. An awesome Pro Bowl starts with awesome players, and your vote helps decide who gets a spot on the AFC and NFC rosters. Show your love, cast your vote, and make sure your favorite players make it to the 2020 Pro Bowl. Vote today and be entered to win exclusive prizes at NFL.com slash Pro Bowl vote. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Garoppolo is in the gun from his own 23. Shotgun snap is high. Four-man rush. He's hit. Brought down. Ball is loose. Picked up by Clowney at the 10. Entourage to the 5. Runs into the end zone. Touchdown, Seattle. A defensive touchdown on a fumble. Receiver motion snap. Spin. Fake handoff. Blocked by Carson. Here comes Warner. They got him back at the 25. The ball loose. It's picked up on the play by Buckner from the five down the near sideline. Touchdown, San Francisco. A defensive touchdown for the Niners. 47-yard attempt to stay undefeated. Oh, he punched at it. No chance at all. The kicker, Jason Myers. With a 42-yard field goal try on the grass, Farhash. Good snap, ball put down. The right-footed kick is up. Endover-rand, it is good! 
Seattle is one in overtime. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a special edition of the Move the Sticks podcast. DJ Bucky with you here, and Buck today uh, for the episode, going to do a, you know a, our discussion as we always do on the Monday night game, which is a big one between the 49ers and the Seahawks. But we're going to go a little bit deeper in this one. Why don't you tell the folks what we've got coming up? Hey, DJ, this is a special one. I, I think anyone who has been paying attention to the podcast has noticed that we have really tried to focus on team building at every level, not only at the collegiate level, but now at the pro level. And so what we decided to do was to take the Monday night football game and use that as a launching point to have a discussion about the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers and the way that both teams have been constructed. You're talking about two teams that are heavyweight contenders in the NFC, but they've done it in different ways. And so what we would like to do is talk about a little breakdown of their franchise quarterbacks, look at how both teams were constructed, the paths of their general managers and how they kind of became the executives that they are. And then finally, look at their coaches and how their coaches backgrounds have impacted the playing style that we see play out on the field. To me, this is one of the best things that we decided to kind of investigate how two up and coming teams have been constructed and what other teams may be able to take from the way that these teams were built yeah it's going to be a fun one a little deep dive here and before we get to how these teams were built and their leadership now let's get to this game because i think it was one of the best games of the entire nfl season it went down uh to the last uh, minute there in overtime five four quarters of football you got your money's worth uh in this one just um uh, you know kind of what were your big picture takeaways buck and uh, let's get into it big picture takeaways um Man, this is going to be a, a fight where we may see three editions of this fight. Like this may be a, 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 a battle that we see, yeah. not only another regular season battle at the end of the year, but somewhere in the playoffs, these teams are going to meet again. Um, I just love the way both of these teams go about their business. Uh, defensive centric. They do a great job on defense getting stops. I Like coming into the game, the 49ers had the defense that everyone raved about. The Seattle Seahawks defense stepped up. Uh, both teams can run the ball. Running the ball is kind of the driving force of their offense. And they both have quarterbacks that can make plays. Russell Wilson makes plays at an MVP level. Jimmy Garoppolo is a flasher. He makes some plays, but not quite the consistent force that Russell Wilson is. But I think at the end of the day, you're seeing with both teams, the best teams in the National Football League have players who are star power players, meaning they can take over games and certain parts of the game. And you're seeing that as you're building your team, you better accumulate enough of those guys that can take it over because ultimately they are the biggest erasers that you can have. And they are the ones that give you a bigger margin for error when it comes to coaching. Yeah, that's a great point. When you look at the impact players who stepped up in this ballgame, let's let's start first here with Seattle. Um, going back, I watched the tape this morning. Um, uh, full full uh, honesty here. I was at the Clipper game last night, but so I had to go back and watch the game when I got home. And, uh, and, the, and then I watched the tape this morning. Uh, but uh, here, here are some of my takeaways. Let's start with Russell Wilson. Um, Bucks, one of those things we talked about with Lamar Jackson earlier uh, in an earlier episode was as he grows and evolves, now he's playing you know, at MVP level, but as he grows and evolves, they're going to they're gonna be able to take out some more of those design quarterback runs, remove those, and then incorporate more scrambles out of the offense. Russell Wilson's ability 
to scramble on pass plays on key downs was huge in this ball game. And when we talked to Jake Heaps, who's who's uh, his private coach and uh, somebody that's been with Russell for a long time, he talked about how in those key moments, that's when Russell will be more aggressive with his legs as you get later on in the ball game. And there were, I mean, third and sixteen, his ability to extend plays. Uh, third and three, they they decided to blitz him. They blitz off the corner uh, late in this ball game. He picks up eighteen yards. Um, it, it, that was that was something he did a lot in this ball game. Those scrambles, and I thought defensively, the 49ers made a mistake. They, they tried to send bodies at him, but there was no. Ha- they got to have a leftover, like you know, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving's coming up. You got to have the leftovers. You've got to have a leftover at the second level. I'm talking. People want to call it a spy, whatever you want to call it, but you have to have somebody there waiting for him. When you send when you send bodies at him in one wall. Buck, he's going to find the crease, and once he finds the crease, it's a long way to travel before you get to the third level of your defense, and, and that ended up being huge plays in this ballgame. So I thought that was uh, that was fascinating there uh, with Russell. The other thing that I had that I took away, um, w- when you watch what they did with Josh Gordon, who has not been there very long, I thought it was brilliant. We're not going to ask you to do 100 things. We're going to ask you to do a couple things really well. Josh Gordon's been running slant routes. You know, you go back to his days in college, that's all they did, right, run slants. So that's something he's very comfortable with. They hit him on two big slants, and you don't need to be together and and throw that route 500 times to be on the same page. Put him in a a position where he can win one-on-one, and those were two big completions in this ballgame. You talk about big completions. There are a couple things that I believe the Seattle Seahawks do I would say probably on par with the New England Patriots. They do a great job of identifying what a player's strengths and weaknesses are and putting them in a very in a position where they can make plays. Um, Josh Gordon comes off the street, and, and ba- basically, and is immediately a big-time playmaker in a critical situation. They didn't throw it to him in the first quarter. They threw him in the fourth quarter. When they needed a play, they go to Josh Gordon. A third and six tie game. There's Bosa over the center. And here's Russell Wilson. And he gets the strike to Josh Gordon. Big physical presence. You talk about, look, he only runs a couple of routes. He runs a slant really well, and he runs a dig. And breaking route at 12 to 15 yards. <laughs> you put it in there. He's big. He's physical. It's one of those things that doesn't require you to have a lot of speed because he has lost some of his speed. But because of his physical dominance, even when Josh Gordon isn't at a 10, isn't at his best when it comes to physically or conditioning, he still is able to make plays. And I thought what was interesting, Russell Wilson's trust in Josh Gordon in those moments. There's something about Key leaders. Moments. Leaders can elevate the play of the players around them. And a lot of it comes from trust. For Russell Wilson to show the trust in Josh Gordon, a guy who's only been there maybe a week, man, speaks volumes to that. And the response that you get from a player when you entrust him like that, he is going to be a pivotal player for the Seahawks going forward. I just kind of like the way the Seattle Seahawks understand it. And we'll talk about this later. But picking up Josh Gordon kind of goes with the theme that Pete Carroll has when it comes to acquiring players. Having talked to people in the building, having been in that building, there are two things that he looks for when he looks at players. Athleticism and instincts. If you have athleticism mm. and instinct slash football IQ, Pete Carroll can find a way to, to put you in a position to make plays. With Josh Gordon, we can say a lot of stuff about what he can't do. He's athletic, and he certainly has instincts because we've seen that play out throughout his career. They put him in a position to let him make plays.
No doubt. And I, I want to flip over to the defensive side with Seattle. Then we'll get to San Francisco here in a second. Uh, but look, Clowney, Clowney dominated a football game. You mentioned your stars having those blue chip players that can step up on that stage. Um, Clowney was just, just he was so destructive in this game. And they tried to hit him with a variety of blocks. You know, sometimes you like to throw different things at him just to see if you could you throw him off of his game. But I mean, he was whip, he was whipping tackles. Then they tried to double him with two tight ends a couple times. That didn't work. Then they tried to wham him. They tried to trap him. It did not matter. <laughs> he was just destroying everything in his sights. And look, I, I'm you don't see this from Clowney each and every week. And I get that some of the criticism. And I know that the sack numbers don't blow you away. But what he is is he's destructive. And when there are big moments and the lights are bright, we've seen it in playoff game in Houston. We've seen it on the big stage games they've had there. He, he finds another level. Now, yeah, you frustrated. You wish that he would, he would do this each and every time out. Yeah. But, man, I'll take a guy that when the lights are bright, he's going to go ahead and, and help me win big, big football games. And that's what Clowney did here. And the other thing I will point out is um, – you know, I, I think there's importance to sacks and, and the ability to finish there. I think that is there's something, obviously, um, that you need to give that some weight. But but this new thing now, when you talk to teams around the league, um, and a lot, uh, some of this, you know, PFF does this, but teams that I talk to do it on their own. They have their own people that they trust that they incorporate to do this. So they, they use pressure percentage is their go-to stat book. Um, so it's the number of opportunities you have to pass rush and the number of pressures you get in those opportunities. So when they're stacking pass rushers, um, pressure percentage is their go-to. And again, they do it off of their own numbers. They don't rely on an outside service. They do it themselves. Uh, but, but Clowney's pressure percentage is off the charts. DJ, Jadavian Clowney goes back to what I just talked about with Josh Gordon. Athleticism and instincts. Jadavian Clowney frustrates some coaches because he doesn't do everything by the book. He's not a textbook defensive end. He doesn't consistently play with his hands. He doesn't consistently take people on down the middle. He doesn't necessarily sequence his moves in the manner that some coaches would like. However, in Seattle, because Pete Carroll is okay with a guy being athletic and playing by feel, you see them kind of maximize their talents in big moments. Jadavian Clowney, on Monday night, Jadavian Clowney was the best player on the field. Like, you, we can take Russell Wilson out of yep. the equation. But the guy that I saw last night was the guy that is the number one overall pick in his draft class. That is the kind of expectations that you have. Now, as a coach, you have to be willing to make a decision. If that player doesn't play at that consistent level all the time, can I be okay with it knowing that deep down inside, he is a competitor. And the bigger the stage, the brighter the lights, he steps up to meet the challenge. Jadavian Clowney showed Pete Carroll that he is willing to meet the challenge. Now, how do you coach him in those games that are not big games? I think for Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll knows. When you're at SC, SC, there's a difference in playing a big game against Notre Dame and then maybe stepping <laughs> down in competition and playing like a Western Michigan. You're not going to get the same effort against Western Michigan that you get versus Notre Dame. So how do I find a way to be okay with it knowing that Notre Dame is coming? I think Pete Carroll's experience in the college game enables him to understand Jadavian Clowney and maybe the ebbs and flows that kind of come along with his play. But we've seen what he did last night on Monday night. He not only made himself a valuable member of the Seattle Seahawks, but, man, he made himself a lot of money because when he hits the open market, there are people that are going to be clamoring for the flashes, and those flashes that we saw last night were absolutely dominant and destructive. 
Uh, no, you're, you're right. He's going to make a, a lot of change here in the offseason. I, I want to flip it over here to the 49ers. And uh, my first takeaway, you, you touched on this a little bit um, with Seattle, but I thought even more so here with San Francisco. I'm going to tie this all into the draft here. Um, when I watch San Francisco's offense and all, almost all their big plays, Buck, slants, RPOs, digs, and, and uh, boots, like movement quarterback movement and I'm sitting here thinking okay let, let's go to this year's draft class real quick with Tua Tua Tonga-Vailoa at Alabama what are the what are the criticisms there oh he just throws slants all he does mm. is throw slants and just mm-hmm. in breaking routes and you know it's play action and he move him around like I don't you know I, I don't know how does that translate to the NFL hey, that is the NFL. Mm-hmm. That is the NFL. You get somebody that can throw accurately on slants, feel it, see it, release it, put it on the money. Uh, somebody that can hit those in-breaking uh, dig routes. Somebody that can move the pocket a little bit. I'm sitting here watching this 49ers offense, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, the, the Shanahan offense, which we're going to get into later in the episode when we dig into the, the coaches in this game. Um, but this, this offense, the Shanahan offense, is spread all over the league. So you, you've got this offense run everywhere, and I think two is perfect to run this, this style of offense. So that was, my, that was my first takeaway there on the 49ers. So it's interesting that you talked about that um, with their offense and Jimmy Garoppolo and how basically this offense is one that I would say is coach-created. It's really systematic. And Jimmy Garoppolo, like no one wants to hear this because we're so enamored by calling people franchise quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo is a system quarterback. This system is creating opportunities for Garoppolo to shine. You talked about slants, RPOs, digs, and bootlegs. Last night, according to our research team, Jimmy Garoppolo was only 3 for 15 on passes with 10 or more air yards. Three for 15, DJ. That is the lowest percentage of there's any some quarterback. Drops I will say, though, there were yeah, some that's drops. True. Like, yeah, there I get some that. Drops in so there, there, there's some drops in there for sure. But, like, those numbers are what it is. And so then when you look at, you pull out yep. all of his numbers, you're realizing, look, the San Francisco 49ers are winning with a system that could be categorized as dink and dunk. But the reason why they need mm-hmm. athletes and explosive playmakers on the outside is because those guys are capable of turning five-yard passes into 15-yard gains. 15-yard gains into big touchdowns. So a Debo Samuel, for instance, who is a physical um, punt returner on the perimeter, when he gets the ball in his hands, he can make big things happen. So as the 49ers are continuing to build their team out, they know that they need more guys who can do special things with the ball in their hands on their own which is why Emmanuel Sanders works, which is why D- Debo Samuels works, which is why when they continue to How about to the guy that was receivers. sitting up in the press box last night? George Kittle. He works. They all missed the him. Rack, they missed him. All the rack yards. Yep. It is about the ability that. to get the ball in the hands and let it work. And so you're absolutely right. This system that we're seeing sprinkled out around the league. Look, Minnesota runs it. Denver runs it. There are a number of teams that run this system, which is stretch, bootleg, quick game. The quarterbacks that are coming in are increasingly more athletic. Um, they're more experienced with these quick rhythm throws. The wide receivers that we're seeing are very experienced in running these quick routes. They're more athletic than they have been in the past. They may not be route runners, but they're playmakers. And so the college game, the scouting evaluation, scouts have to adjust their eye to what is playing in the league and the systems that are prevalent in the league. Yeah, I, I think it. I think that's where the league is, and I think that's you know when you look at Garoppolo's numbers, and I, I look, he he 
was fortunate. There were about three, I would say two or three dropped interceptions in this game, so he benefited from that. But on the other side of it, the one interception that he did have went right through Kendrick Bourne's hands um, and pops up in the air and gets returned all the way down. So I I thought, to me, you you drop George Kittle in this football game in a game the 49ers had every chance to win and miss a field goal, um, but they're in this thing all the way through. George Kittle is a major difference maker uh, for this offense and for for Garoppolo. I think that um, you know getting him back healthy eventually when these teams uh, see each other down the road, I think will uh, uh, will make a major impact. But um, the other takeaways there with the uh, with the 49ers, um, I, I thought the yards. You know, don't blow you away, I guess, with, with Seattle. Chris Carson didn't have 100 yards, but they averaged over 4.3 a carry, and they ran the ball pretty well um, against the, the 49ers. And to me, I'd much rather try and block those uh, those uh, that defensive front in the run game than try and hold up in pass protection. Uh, Russell Wilson sacked five times in this football game, but I thought their ability to get something going on the ground was huge. It is huge, and I think one of the things where um, we kind of run into the argument uh, – and sometimes it's analytics, the analytics world. Sometimes um, it's people that are fascinated with the passing game. The reason why the Seattle Seahawks, despite having the presence of a franchise quarterback, are committed to running the ball is because we saw when you um, kind of become pass happy, it is hard for any offensive lineman to block the athletes that are playing these pass rush positions. You just don't have enough to slow these guys down. When you saw the 49ers defensive front in favorable opportunities in third long situations where they could pin their ears back and ignore the run, you saw how quickly they got to Russell Wilson. Part of the reason why the Seattle Seahawks have to remain committed to the run is you have to slow the pass rush down. Even though the yardage may not come in bunches when it comes to running the ball, you at least take some of the steam off the pass rushers. Chris Carson didn't have a 100-yard gain, but he was effective enough on 25 carries where you at least have to slow down and pay attention to them. And so the running game, doesn't have to necessarily be the driving force of your offense, but it has to be a critical part of your offense to slow down the pass rush and to dictate the terms so your quarterback can throw from favorable situations. The Seattle Seahawks' commitment to the running game enabled them to put Russell Wilson in a better situation where he didn't have to get beat up and could last in the fourth quarter and in overtime because he didn't take the punishment that he would have taken if this was a game where he threw it 50 times. And I do want to tag one thing here before we move on and dig a little deeper into how these teams were constructed. Um, DK Metcalf, some good and some bad, right? Six catches, uh, 70 yards, then has a fumble as he's going into the end zone. Uh, had another couple drops, but uh, he also produced some big plays. So to me, he's like the uh, he's like the poor man's T.O. right now, Buck. You know, you're going to get some of those big plays. You live with some of the drops. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But you know what? I, I think they did. Now, I, I will say this. Um, I thought they brought in a pretty effective role model for DK Metcalf, not in terms of his off-the-field stuff, but Josh Gordon's on-the-field behavior, his characteristics yeah, in big, terms of how dude. he plays. I think Metcalf can get in Josh Gordon's hip pocket and watch how Josh Gordon is able to effectively win on the outside and maybe steal a few t- tips and tricks from Josh Gordon that will enable him to be a more effective and consistent playmaker. But I do believe this is some of the stuff that you have to sprinkle in the scouting report when you take on a DK Metcalf. You have to tell your coaches, when we bring DK Metcalf in, phenomenal athlete, um, a very explosive potential playmaker. However, once or twice a game, he's going to drop the ball. And you can't be discouraged when he drops it 
we're going to bank on in the long game, he's going to make more big plays for us than plays that he gives up. And we'll just have to bite down when he has those moments. And I think in the game on Monday, the Seattle Seahawks had to live with some of those missteps, knowing that he's going to come back and deliver some big plays when he has his chance. I like the fact they were just smoking the ball out to him, too. They want to give you a cushion. Let, that's a monster now. Make somebody tackle that dude. Uh, so I thought they've kind of incorporated that to go along with some of the shots down the field. Uh, that was impressive. All right, let's get to these teams and do a little bit deeper dive here. Um, and let's start with the quarterback position, how they required our evaluation and uh, uh, just our, our thoughts on the two signal callers. And uh, we can begin with the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. With the 75th pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Russell Wilson, quarterback, Wisconsin. There you go. This is a kid I can't tell you how much I like. Remember, he transferred to Wisconsin because he was already a graduate at North Carolina State, a playmaker from day one. Drafted and played minor league baseball while he played at NC State, and now a quarterback that down the road can not only be a competent backup and kind of a change of pace quarterback, but I believe someday might be a starter quality player. Yeah, there's Mike Mayock there talking about uh, Russell Wilson. You know, remember, Buck, this is uh, go back in time here in March of 2012. They, they signed Matt Flynn there to a three-year deal, 20, 20 million bucks, 9 million guaranteed. And then uh, Russell Wilson's drafted in the third round, and sure enough, uh, he comes in, beats out Matt Flynn, and the rest is history. But uh, just going back to when he was, uh, was coming out, Buck, do you remember what you what you thought of him at that point in time? Hey, I really liked him when he was coming out. Uh, DJ, I remember when he was uh, – the year he was coming out, he actually played Kirk Cousins in the Big Ten Championship game. So I went to the Big Ten Championship game, flew to Indianapolis so I could watch it up close and personal. And I have always been impressed with Russell Wilson going back to his days at NC State, obviously being a Tar Heel. I watched him play at NC State, and he was effective. He was a guy that broke a bunch of Phillip Rivers' records. So I knew he was an accomplished passer. At Wisconsin, the most impressive part was he was able to go in as a graduate transfer quickly become the captain within which two weeks. Which was new, right? Which, which was, was new. new at that Absol time. Absolutely new. He picks Wisconsin because he wanted to play in a pro-style offense. He goes there and immediately, within a month, is named the captain because of his leadership ability, his ability to bring the team together. Then when you watched him play, completed over 70% of his passes, the way that he was able to kind of inject himself into the offense, take himself off, kind of play as he needed to play to win games, um, showed some of the running ability, but not to the level that he displayed there. Played a phenomenal game in the Rose Bowl. I thought that if he was a little taller, obviously he would be a guy that would be an effective first-round pick. But in terms of playing the game, he has star quality written all over him. If you watched him play, you thought he could be a starting quarterback. If you could get past the height, and I think what we saw back then, the height and the measurables were still a big factor in the draft process when it came to quarterbacks. He was taken in the third round. But I give the Seahawks, Seahawks credit for doing this. Pete Carroll has always talked about the best players play. And he talked, and I remember this in the training camp battle with Matt Flynn and Russell Wilson. He says, when you make these decisions on players, you can't worry about the cost of doing business. What we paid to acquire Matt Flynn was market value. But at the end of the day, the best players have to play. And they stuck to that premise. Russell Wilson outplayed Matt Flynn and was the starting quarterback. A lot of teams wouldn't have the guts or the courage to make a decision with the money not involved in the decision-making or the judgment. 
Yeah, Pete Carroll, go back to USC, just that competition Tuesday or whatever they called it there, and they've, mm-hmm. they've carried that on uh, to the Seattle Seahawks. So you can't preach competition and then and then gift uh, starting positions based off the money that they make. So um, he stuck to his guns there. And, and one of the things he also did at USC is Pete Carroll would throw the, the freshman in the starting lineup right away at practice and just say, we're going to throw you in the deep end, and some of these guys might show us they can swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to give him an opportunity, and that's something that they always sold in recruiting, and it's something that he obviously has continued on there uh, with Seattle. I went back and pulled up my report, Buck, and um, I've, I've read through uh, my summary of him as a football player so many times. I've, you know, I'm familiar with that. But I went back and was looking through some of the character notes that I had, and some of, uh, some of these things stood out to me because we've talked to uh, – after we talked to Jake Heaps – Mm-hmm. and learn more about how Russell Wilson takes care of himself and how committed he is. A couple things stood out to me. Um, his dad, when he was young, woke him up every morning at 6 a.m. Um, to go outside and work on baseball or football. Now, I, I read this book, Astro Ball, on the Astros and how they built their team. And uh, Carlos Correa, his dad did, the, did this in the evenings. So he was, uh, I think it was in Puerto Rico, um, and his dad, every evening after he'd worked a couple jobs at like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, he would take him to the baseball field and like hit him balls and take BP for like an hour and a half, and he did it every single day. Um, that type of uh, influence that his father had on him, instilling that work ethic, something that happened uh, with Russell Wilson uh, when he was at a young age. Dad coached his youth teams. Um, uh, go back through some of his other notes, the charisma. Everybody raved about Russell Wilson's charisma, which we've obviously seen uh, hold up. And then this one about how he takes care of his body and doesn't miss football games, Buck. We've seen that at the NFL level. Uh, suffered a sprained shoulder as a freshman. Didn't miss any games. Sprained his PCL that same year. Avoided missing any time. So this is somebody that you go back to college has always been able to play through injuries. And that whole uh, thing we always preach about, the greatest ability is availability, um, that's been his track record, and that's something that's followed him to the NFL. It's funny because listening to you, those things that you are discussing, uh, the work ethic, being a worker bee, um, the body maintenance and the durability, to me it speaks to mental and physical toughness. Every coach that we've yes. had come on the podcast since the beginning of the football season – has talked about toughness in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Your quarterback, and in Urban Meyer, our most recent podcast, he talked about your quarterback has to be your most competitive and your toughest dude. Russell Wilson answers the bill each and every week. Russ has time, steps up in the pocket, now he's going to lay it over the top, lock it in the back of the end zone, he's got it! Touchdown, Seahawks! No matter what happens to him, whatever happens on the field, Everyone knows that number three is going to be in the huddle when the game starts. There is something to be said for that. You talked about the durability, the dependability, being available. Your franchise quarterback shows up each week. The toughness that he has to display to be able to make himself available inspires and elevates his teammates. It also enables Pete Carroll to hold him up as the role model for how we want our Seahawks to be. And so when the head coach and the quarterback are aligned in their beliefs, your team has the opportunity to create the culture that enables them to win a number of games consistently. That is what I see when I see out, see the Seattle Seahawks. Look, outside of the special traits and all the other stuff that he displays, his toughness, his dependability, and accountability that he has to his team is something that most teams desire in a franchise quarterback. 
Last thing, Buck, that's a beautiful way you said that. I, to me, the last thing I'll leave you with is I mentioned that you leave yourself little breadcrumbs in your reports when you go back and read them. And for those that I know we got a lot of people that, that work in the recruiting space that listen to this, go back through and find the clues. So I had Russell Wilson, I get, ended up giving him a third round grade, um, had him in the second round before the senior bowl when he checked in at 5'10". I panicked and dropped him. But listen, <laughs> listen to this line in my report. Listen to this line, Buck. This is uh, – uh, I'll just read you. This is the start of my report. It's a cross-check report, meaning I didn't go into the school. I did them on tape. Uh, Russell's a four-year starter at the QB position. Started three years at NC State before transferring to Wisconsin his senior year. He's grossly undersized for the position, but his lack of height wasn't a factor in these tapes. That's literally how I started my report. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, dummy, then why don't you keep your grade where it is if it wasn't <laughs> a factor when you were watching the tape? Like it, that's what I'm saying. Like you always leave yourself breadcrumbs to figure out what happened, and that's um, you know that that was a lesson that I've learned at that point in time, which made it a lot easier when guys like Kyler Murray come around to say, okay, this guy can play. Okay, so we always learn from our previous experiences and interactions, and so. Russell Wilson is kind of the guy, I won't call him the pioneer, but he paved the way for the other undersized quarterbacks that have come from behind him. Because remember, there's this huge gap between Drew Brees, who was 2001, and Russell Wilson, whichever year Russell came out, 2012. And so over an 11-year yeah, span. 2012. And also, Darren Swain, 600, because uh, uh, Breeze was six foot even, on, at least on the card in our, in our draft room. Mm-hmm. And then um, and Russell was 5'10", 6", I believe. So in that 11-year uh, span between Drew Brees, who remember, Drew Brees was a second-round pick. Despite all the numbers that he yep. put up at Purdue, all the great things that he did, he was dropped down to the second round because he didn't hit the nump, the mark when it came to the size. Yep. And so it took the Seattle Seahawks waiting and waiting and waiting. They take him in the third round, so then Russell Wilson plays. Russell Wilson starts immediately as a rookie. His teams quickly in his career go to Super Bowls back-to-back. So then teams are now, oh, okay, well, maybe I can play with an undersized quarterback if he does have some special traits. So now we have seen, I don't want to say a run, but we've seen more undersized quarterbacks Oh, have an opportunity. Open. It's, it's open up because Russell Wilson has been the guy who has kind of been the gatekeeper because he's played so well. He's allowed other guys to imagine an undersized quarterback also playing well in their respective offenses. Well, I mean, and we'll move on here, but I mean, the number one quarterback in the country in high school football right now, the kid at modern day is, is under six feet. So, yep. Bryce um, I mean, it's trickled all the way down where, where even when you're at a, uh, you know, premier high school programs, they don't worry, but I don't care about height anymore. Can you play? Can you not play? Uh, that's the question. All right, let's get to the other quarterback uh, going over to the San Francisco 49ers. A little different story there, but we want to dig a little bit deeper here on, uh, on their signal caller, Jimmy Garoppolo. This just into the NFL Network newsroom, Jimmy Garoppolo, we've been talking about him being traded for the last two years, has indeed been traded to the San Francisco 49ers. Let's bring in our insider, Ian Rappaport, with the latest. Well, the 49ers, who are deep in the rebuilding mode, have now acquired a player they believe to be the quarterback of their future. Jimmy Garoppolo goes from the Patriots backup to now the 49ers in exchange for a 2018 Second round pick. Well, there you go, Buck. That was the uh, the trade there that uh, got Jimmy Garoppolo to the 49ers. But I want to go back to the drafting process here. Go go to uh, what we thought of Jimmy Garoppolo, just to kind of refresh everybody. Uh, Jimmy, coming out of uh, out of Eastern Illinois, um, was somebody that was in the East West Shrine game. 
and was by far the best player there. Jumped out with mm-hmm. the way he played in that entire week of practice. Got the battlefield promotion because A.J. McCarron pulled out of the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. So when A.J. McCarron pulls out of the Senior Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo then gets to go to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, where he had a solid week. Wasn't as good there, but a solid week. Got a chance to get in front of a lot of people. And I thought really uh, helped elevate his stock in the spring coming out of a uh, not a traditional powerhouse school. Yeah, so uh, the, the thing about Jimmy Garoppolo that stood out at both of those All-Star games, how quick the ball came out, the confidence that he had. And basically, I would call it, I have it written down, the cool factor. I felt like he was poised. I yep. felt like he had that clutch ability that the game wasn't too big for him. Even when he was moved up at the senior bowl to play against the top competition, he handled it without looking rattled, didn't appear phased by having to play against and with big-time competition. Then you, you, you take it out and you look at the New England Patriots and how we fit in with the New England Patriots when we got an opportunity to see him in preseason action. Ball came out quickly. It appeared to have a solid grasp of their offense, added the athleticism where he can make some plays um, off the cuff. And so you're thinking for the New England Patriots, like, man, they have kind of like a new school quarterback who can handle the pressure of kind of playing behind Tom Brady, but also maintaining his own style without trying to be Tom Brady. Now you fast forward and you go to the San Francisco 49ers and you get an opportunity to see him play in Kyle Shanahan's system. He goes right away. They have immediate success when he steps onto the field. Quick snap. Garoppolo throws end zone. It is caught by Dante Pettis. He is cool under pressure. He runs some two-minute drills. He executes and wins, has some game-winning drives. And you're beginning to think that Jimmy Garoppolo is magical. This team doesn't lose when he is under center. And the one thing that we've consistently talked about with a franchise quarterback the franchise quarterback has to give everyone on the team hope and because he has been so cool so calm he's delivered he has produced and performed for the 49ers in even adverse situations he has given the franchise hope and the optimism springs internal it's one of the reasons why there were so many observers that feel good about the 49ers chances of eventually becoming a Super Bowl contender with Jimmy G at the helm yeah, look, hope is the word there, and he's brought wins. I mean, his, you know, I don't, I know quarterback wins, people lose their mind over that whole thing, but um, since he's been there with the 49ers and in the lineup, they've won a lot, a lot of football games. And I want to go back to the college thing here, Buck, because I mentioned his week down there at the East West Shrine game. Um, I actually uh, wrote an article on the five biggest winners from the East West Shrine mm-hmm. game, went back and looked that one up. Number one on the list, Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback, Eastern Illinois. Garoppolo stood out as the best player during the week of practice, and he put together a strong performance during the game on Saturday. Showed quick feet in his setup, lightning quick release, and accuracy at all three levels. I was very impressed with the command and poise he displayed in the pocket. He's built up a lot of momentum heading into the Reese's Senior Bowl uh, coming up on January 25th. I don't know that it could have gone any better in an all-star setting the way you've played. You didn't get to start a game, which probably right. been a while since you haven't started. Uh, but just tell us how you think things went out there for you. Uh, you know, I think they went well. I uh, got in the rhythm early. I mean, uh, just the receivers and me, we were in a good rhythm, and the O-line was playing great. So, I mean, when those big guys up front are giving you time like that, it makes my job a lot easier. Now, the interesting thing is the other four guys I identified have done nothing in the NFL. So one for five for me. Uh, one for five for me that week. That uh, might, but Jimmy Garoppolo, to yeah, me, that to might the get you in the starting lineup. Quick release, quick feet. Yeah, one for five. Yeah, 200, man. We, I can play for the pods. That's what I'm saying. You can play for the Padres doing that. 
I'm not a Dodgers, but a Padres <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, but no, quick feet, uh, quick decisions, uh, quick release. That was kind of the. I just kept coming back to that during his evaluation process. And I think we've seen some of those things there with the 49ers. One thing I, I would say um, that you want to see him continue to improve on. I want to see him just be a little more decisive and crisp um, with the Niners. Uh, when he gets kind of some clear sight lines and he's, they, they, you know, first read, you'll see him. Um, it's clean. It's beautiful. When he's working through progressions, I want to see him trust it. You get to number two, number three, you like it, boom, let it go. Uh, there's a little bit of hesitation there with Garoppolo. I think uh, that's something hopefully will get ironed out over time. Yeah, I think that's something that he has to work on. I, I, the one thing that I don't know, I don't know if he has – I won't call it anticipation. I would call it kind of like blind faith um, that his receiver is going to get to the spot and he can let it go. I think there are some times where he misses some opportunities because he doesn't quite uh, trust it fully that his guy is going to get there and make the play. And that is the difference between the good quarterbacks and the great quarterbacks. The great quarterbacks, we've seen them. The ball is out and it somehow finds its way into the hands of his receiver down the field. I would like to see Jimmy Garoppolo show a little bit more of that where he knows it, he knows exactly where the guy is going to be, and he lets it go on time. We see it on some of these routes, these isolation routes, when he has to throw the deep out or the comeback, and he knows that, look, this is my primary read. I got the coverage that I want so I can let it go. I would like to see him show those kind of skills uh, consistently because that is what will make him a really a, a great player at the next level. All right, Buck, let's transition a little bit to how these uh, these teams were built, and we'll start with the 49ers. Um, to me, it's uh, you, you build championship teams in the trenches. That's exactly what they've done, especially along the defensive line. With the second pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Nick Bosa. And DJ you were telling me that scouts throughout the NFL were drooling over this kid for, uh, for being a prospect coming in, and now he's in the National Football League. Last year, you remember when Sam Darnold was coming out and people were critical of how he played against Ohio State? That guy walking right there is why he didn't play well in that game. He hit it repeatedly. He dominated when he was on the football field. Needs to stay healthy, but everything I've heard is he is 100% healthy and ready to go. I think the 49ers just got the best football player in this year. Yeah, the house band was a little loud that year, uh, last year at the draft, a little bit, a little noisy. Uh, but, Buck, that was the latest first-round pick for the 49ers, and now when you look at that defensive front, they got five first-round picks up front. DJ, you have to invest in where your priorities are, meaning you have to invest in where you think uh, the best way to build your team to be a champion. And we've talked about it uh, repeatedly. Like the marquee positions on most team building processes, somewhere pass rusher is important. Inside or outside, you have to have guys that can affect the quarterback. So if the quarterback is the first piece, the second piece of the puzzle is a dominant pass rush because you have to knock him off the mark. And what the 49ers have done, this is – some of this is before the John Lynch areas. They've invested in the defensive line. Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, all first-round picks. When they made the move to acquire a free agent and, and, and get D Ford, they were able to get another first-round yeah. pick. Um, so when you think about the collective talent that is in that room, being able to have blue-chip players at every one of those positions and knowing that the natural competitor that each of these guys have inside of them, they're going to push and elevate each other because it's a race to get to the quarterback. The 49ers, in my mind, are built in the vision in which John Lynch saw his own 
personal success in Tampa Bay. When you go back and look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers teams, they were able to win. The one that was the most dominant, Warren Sapp, Simeon Rice, they were able to dominate up front. The easiest way to play great defense is to be able to win with your D-line so you can play maximum coverage behind it. The San Francisco 49ers are one of the few teams that are allowed or are able to do it with their D-line just running twisting games up front without really needing to blitz and add extra rushers. It really makes them very, very difficult to go against because they have maximum coverage, but they also have a maximum rush because their guys are just better than your guys up front. Yeah, they've invested heavily in that defensive line. And when you look at their top 22 snap leaders, offense, defense here, so the top 22, um, how they were acquired, 10 of them in the draft, uh, nine through free agency and waivers, and three through trade. So when we go through the draft, we've talked about the first rounders, but you you find any good team, and when you're sitting there atop of the division, we know the 49ers are a good football team. The first rounders, a lot of impact there with those defensive linemen. But outside the first round, you get George Kittle in the fifth round. Uh, Fred Warner, who had a huge game against the Seahawks, is really one of the better off-the-ball linebackers right now. He was a third-round pick. Uh, Greenlaw had a pick last night. He was last year. He was a fifth-round pick. Uh, We've seen Debo Samuel come on early. He's a second-round pick. So finding some guys outside the first round, they've done a good job there. And then, um, to me, Buck, when you look at at undrafted free agents, a couple key ones there, Matt Breida, who's been a good player for him. Uh, Kendrick Bourne has been a solid contributor, so finding some guys uh, after the draft. And then if we go to the other two categories, free agency, you know, Robbie Gould didn't play in that ballgame, but that's an excellent pickup with the kicker. Kyle Juszczyk. You remember when Kyle Juszczyk was signed and everybody gave them grief for how much they paid a fullback? Uh, But that was them knowing exactly how they were going to use him. They had a plan for him, uh, and it was a big hit there uh, with Juszczyk. And then I think we touched on Garoppolo, obviously, with the trade there. But a couple more. D. Ford, you mentioned. uh, Emmanuel Sanders this year coming over. And Lakin Tomlinson has been a starter. So using all the avenues to build your team. Yeah, I think that's a common denominator. I I, I think you have to be able to uh, use all forms of team building that are available to you. So some of that is draft and develop. Some of that is being able to look at the waiver wire and figure out what guys best fit your system. And then using free agency or the trade uh, market to be able to, I guess, fill the biggest holes on your roster. San Francisco 49ers have been able to use all aspects of building their squad. And it's one of the reasons why they are sitting right now at the top of the NFC because they have a very, very complete team, a team that doesn't have a lot of glaring weaknesses when you look at them. And I believe if I'm doing this right, three first-rounders on the offensive line as well. So you've got both tackles, Staley and McGlinchey, and then the trade for Lake and Tomlinson, who was a first-round pick with Detroit. So that's uh, that's common denominator on the offensive side. Common denominator. The the foundation has to be intact. We talk about building the house. The house is built in the trenches. And so you right then are talking eight first-round picks between the starting offense and defensive lines. Uh, It's not a it's not a coincidence that they're able to dominate by running the ball, and also by getting after the pass because that's what the trench play allows you to do. All right, let's uh, let's switch over to the Seattle Seahawks and how they built their roster. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, in the draft outside the first round, they've been money. With the 69th pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Tyler Lockett, wide receiver, Kansas State. Love this kid. Absolutely love this kid. He can play inside. He can play outside. The only knock on him is size. Double move. See ya. I'm gone. He's one of those guys that's both quick and fast. He is a perfect guy for Seattle. There you go, Mayock, talking about 
uh, the selection there of Tyler Lockett in the third round. And, Buck, I mentioned outside the first round. Let me give you, uh, first of all, big picture with their roster, doing the same thing we do with Seattle, the 49ers. Um, of their top 22 leaders and snaps here, you've got 13 through the draft, uh, so three more than the Niners. 13 through the draft, six through free agency and waivers, and three via trade. So same number of guys uh, in the trade avenue, but a little bit, little bit more there in the draft. And I go outside the first round with some of these names. Let me give you the names outside the first round. K.J. Wright, fourth rounder. Bobby Wagner, second rounder. Russell Wilson, third rounder. Lockett, third rounder. Jaron Reed, who had a big game the other night, uh, second rounder. Shaquille Griffin, third rounder. Chris Carson, their lead back, seventh rounder. Uh, you know, Trey Flowers playing a lot of football for them, fifth rounder. Metcalf, second rounder. I mean, that is a lot of impact players they found outside the first round. And you know why it works for them, DJ? It works because they have a developmental plan where everyone is in agreement. The personnel staff and the coaches agree in how they want to develop their players, meaning that uh, some of the success that we're seeing from the Seahawks, uh, it's not only draft and develop, it's just, quite frankly, develop. They develop their players. Yes. Um, They put them on the practice field. They have a plan for developing them. And then more importantly, they put them in games. You alluded to Pete Carroll's and his time back at SC where he would throw the freshmen in with the starting unit to see if they could swim in the deep water. And they found out, oh, some of these guys can swim. Where it's the same way that they go about their business in Seattle. Undrafted, drafted, it doesn't matter how you come in. If you're a guy that has the potential to play, they put you on the field to see if you can play. And then not only do they put you on the field and see if you can play, but each and every day they work with you individually to develop you from a fundamental standpoint. What the Seattle Seahawks do offensively and defensively isn't complex. Because of the simplicity in what they do from a schematic standpoint, they spend most of their time working on fundamentals. Well, when you work on fundamentals in the National Football League, when everyone else is worrying about scheme, your players get better. And so we see the evolution of these players who were good athletes, because we talked about athleticism and instincts. Now they've been developed, so now they have skill mastery. Now you're seeing their really good players pop, like the Richard Sherman, who became a really good player out of nowhere, goes on, becomes a, a key member of their defense. Now he's in San Francisco. But the examples we've seen on and on and on and on where the Seattle Seahawks have been able to develop their own players and their players become stars within their system because they're reared within their system. They learn the fundamentals, and they're really good players playing in a very simple scheme that works for them. One of the things you, you just hit on it is so good, Buck, is um, this team hasn't changed. So they have an identity. They know what works. They know what they want, and that doesn't change. You want to talk about having roster retention and having a chance to, to build a long, sustained program? Well, you keep things the same, and that way people don't fall out. You get new coaches, new schemes come in. Uh, all of a sudden, these three or four guys were good players previously, but they, they don't really fit us. So you end up losing some of them, and you're constantly having to replace and rebuild and restack there's none of that there. They, they, they've been doing the same system, looking for the same traits, the same uh, core values in players for so long that when players leave the organization, it's because they don't want to resign them or that it's time for them to move on. It's not because they don't fit. Um, and that is a huge advantage, the consistency uh, that you have there uh, with, with this scheme. And and I, I do want us to talk about the trades here for a second. And we can... Uh, get to the big one we saw have an impact the other night uh, because this has been huge for their team what they've been able to do in the trade market none bigger than Mr. Clowney 
Breaking news from the NFL Network newsroom. The Seahawks have acquired pass rusher Jadevian Clowney, according to NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Clowney on the franchise tag this season. He was reluctant to sign that tag until he found a destination he liked. And here are the reported details from NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport regarding the trade. The Texans will get third round, a third-round draft pick next year. Linebacker Jacob Martin, as well as linebacker Barkevius Mingo. In exchange for that, the Seahawks will acquire former first overall pick Jadavian Clowney. As much as I loved, by the way, Houston uh, acquiring Laramie Tunsil, boy, did I hate this trade. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a gift. They just gave a gift um, to the um, to the Seattle Seahawks. But, Buck, um, talk about impact players. They've got a couple there, uh, not only Clowney, but Dwayne Brown, same team from Houston, who who really – this is a terrible offensive line. When he came in and really helped solidify and hold down the fort there at left tackle. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple other trades with, with Hollister and Diggs. But the two big ones, uh, Clowney and Brown, and we I feel like we keep hitting this theme, right? Trenches. Um, you invest in the trenches. Sometimes you can do it with the draft, and they've been able to do it with trades. They have been able to do it with chase, trades. And I'm going to say this because knowing John Snyder personally, John Snyder used to work with the Green Bay Packers. He was one of the guys that picked me up from the airport when I first was acquired there. Um, he obviously sat at the knee of Ron Wolf, and Ron Wolf had a very similar philosophy. Go and get what you need. Evaluate your roster constantly. Look and see where the strengths and weaknesses are. See if you maybe can pawn off a surplus in your strength area to fill your weaknesses. What the Seattle Seahawks have done consistently throughout this Pete Carroll, John Snyder era, they've been able to identify where they're lacking and they trade what they need to trade to go and get it. Years ago, we saw him trade for Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch became the bell cow to that running game. He was the identity of that offensive tack, and it worked the other day. Went to two Super Bowls with him. We saw them last year need an offensive tackle. They trade off what they needed to get Dwayne Brown. He solidified that offensive line. They go to the playoffs. This year, look, Frank Clark, DePars, they, you know, they, they don't have what they necessarily need as a pass rusher. They go and get Zeke Johnson. Uh, okay, but... Jadavian Clowney was the didn't work. big yeah, but swing. It didn't work. Yeah. Jadavian Clowney yes. was the big swing. And they were able to get him at a discount because Houston, Texas decided to pay half of his salary. The Seattle Seahawks are not afraid to swing big for what they need. They give up picks. They know that draft picks can be reacquired because they did it years ago. And they've landed big-time players that have been immediate contributors. There is something to being able to identify what you need and being willing to go and get it. The CLC Hawks have shown a willingness to go and get what they need. Can I give you my one team-building philosophy here? One thing that I would definitely take with me um, is every draft, I would would have a trade and say, um, I'm going to come out of this draft with an extra third round pick next year and that extra third round pick we will not we will not use but that is our trade deadline chip that i'm going to acquire so when we're picking in this current draft and i'm picking in the second round or i'm picking in the first round and i want to slide back a handful of spots and i'm going to get a third round pick i'm going to say okay that third round pick that goes in that that goes in the little uh the piggy bank over there because that's going to be what i'm going to use next year to acquire a player and i promise you the chances that you're going to get a better 
player that you know can play an existing player um, with that with that third round choice is much greater than the fact that you're going to hit on that third round pick uh, the following year. So to me, I think you know Schneider's done a nice job of constantly almost every year you see him trade back, acquire picks. It's not only to acquire picks to make to to pick them, it's acquiring picks for assets when you get to the trade deadline. And everybody else in the NFL is a little bit, for some reason, a little bit afraid to part with a third round pick for Clowney, and you're sitting here going, well, this is a bonus, man. I've already had, I've saved up this third-round pick to go shopping, and now I'm going to use it. Yeah, DJ, that's very smart. I mean, it's it's really, really smart because you understand how guys value these draft picks, right? Like the unknown has more value than the known, Um, even though it should be flipped the other way around. Uh, I believe we've seen uh, the last year or so, we've seen more teams – deal for known commodities as opposed to holding on to these picks and what could be down the line. And you're right because we see it every year. People think that because I have more draft picks, it ensures that we're going to get better players, and it doesn't. If I know that I need a pass rusher and I have the ability to get a pass rusher who has proven, who I've seen, get to the quarterback in the National Football League, I'm going to give up something to get him. Now, I got to make sure that he fits how we want to play in our scheme, but I am willing to give up stuff to get a known commodity. I think you should always keep the piggy bank full of a couple draft picks to be able to get a known player at the right value as it gets closer to the trade deadline. No doubt. All right, let's get to, let's get to these two team builders here. Uh, I talked a little bit about Schneider there. We'll get to him in a second. Let's start off uh, with the 49ers and the man in charge, John Lynch. Don't let him fool you with his pumps. We'll get to our landmarks. Dexter! Hurt that. Blitz threatened. First down 10 from the 45. Gannon pump fake looking to his right. Throwing to his right. Oh, intercepted. Dexter Jackson to the 40, to the 35, to the 50. He's to the 45. Where you are, Dex Jackson has two. Dexter! Dexter, I told you, baby. I told you. Was it Slug OC? Dexter! I told him right before the snap. It's Slug OC. Cole Wright coming at you from the NFL Network newsroom with breaking news. Former safety and Stanford alum John Lynch has been named as the new general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. And with that being said, let's now turn our attention to rap sheet Ian Rappaport. Now, Ian, word on the street is that his deal of the six-year variety. What more can you tell us about this? Yeah, the 49ers had two second interviews this week with general manager candidates Terry Donahue of the Arizona Cardinals and George Payton from the Minnesota Vikings, but there was always a third candidate, a mystery candidate, who would only agree to take part in the interview process if his name remained completely secret. And we now know that candidate was John Lynch, the former Broncos great, and of course the Fox analyst who has spent a lot of time over the last week trying to get out of his Fox deal, several complications with that. Out of nowhere, John Lynch expected to be named the 49er general manager. Yeah, you heard it there. John Lynch um, is Hall of Fame finalist with an outstanding playing career, uh, mainly there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, um, did his thing with the Denver Broncos as well as a brief stint there with the New England Patriots. Um, but then was in the broadcast booth with Fox before he decided to uh, to pursue the general manager position with the uh, 49ers. And Buck, um, you heard you heard that Super Bowl bite there with him telling um, his teammate about where that ball was going to go and and. The sluggo scene was coming. He saw it. He's obviously got a great reputation um, for a brilliant mind in the game of football, but it's a different role. It's a different job when you go into the front office. We've seen other people try it. It hasn't worked out. The one thing I will just say, having uh, visited with Mayock just last week uh, before the uh, Raider Charger game, we talked for like an hour, 
and he mentioned how beneficial it was for him to have been in all these buildings, to talk to all these team builders. While so many general managers get hired, they have their experience in one or two organizations, and they can take what they like best from those one or two organizations. Mayock's like, man, I got to see the, you know, all I got to see all 32 buildings. And so instead of pulling from one or two organizations, I had a chance to pull from a lot of organizations, cherry pick which processes and which which uh, uh, avenues of building teams and building your department that he liked best. And I think that was a huge asset for him. And I think an underrated aspect there with John Lynch being so familiar with the entire league. I do believe that's an underrated aspect. Um, I think one thing that is always kind of talked about, but we, we never really understand because they're, they're um, pros and cons to the evaluation. It's the former player turned executive because we've seen it and we, we've seen it good and bad. We've seen Ozzie Newsom become one of the best team builders. You obviously worked up under him. Yes. He was able to parlay his experience on the field into a long scouting career before he became the general manager. We've seen it in other ways. John Elway goes from the field to the front office, didn't really have a lot of experience as an executive. It worked out to him to a point where he has won a Super Bowl, but he also has had some of his struggles when it comes to drafting and evaluating and keeping his team consistently competitive. And John Lynch, I think what's interesting is John Lynch goes from the field to the front office. But I think what he did to kind of buffer himself is he surrounded himself with a great supporting cast. We talk about Adam Peters, who's a lifelong scout, who has been in the game for a long time, mm-hmm. who has been able to take some of the hard scrabble lessons that you get on the road to have a voice in that building. John has also surrounded himself with some former players who have also been in the scouting business for a long time. Martin Mayhew has been a longtime NFL executive after playing for the Redskins and the Buccaneers. Uh, Rand Carthon, who played in the league and has been an executive for a few different teams. And so what you have is this mix of experience where you have some guys in the room who have kind of played it and they may be more of a paint by feel. Then you have some other guys who kind of understand the business because they grew up from a grassroots level and have been in it. But with all of that experience and the different perspectives, it has worked for the 49ers. It is one of the things that I really admire about how the 49ers have put together their front office. There is enough differing opinions and differing experience that when you do have these tough conversations, you can look at it from a few different angles and try and make the best decision that works for the franchise. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned Adam Peters, by the way. Free, free piece of advice to the Denver Broncos. Just go ahead and bump John Elway up to a president's role. Hire Adam Peters to come in and be the general manager and try and fix, uh, fix that football team would be my first order of business. Uh, Peters, will be a, he'll be a general manager here within the next uh, 24 months. He's outstanding. Um, you see the job they've done there with the 49ers. Um, on Lynch, Buck, when I, was, uh, when I was in college, I used to work out with John Lynch, uh, Tony Baselli, and these guys all worked out together mm-hmm. up in the North County in San Diego. Um, and the way, the way he prepared to play as long as he did is think about how physical he played, um, and the length of his career. He obviously knew, um, discipline, tough, took care of himself. Um, and I think a lot of those, those habits that he had as a player, he's tried to identify in the players they've brought in, uh, to their organization. And, uh, um, I think you mentioned that Tampa, you know, that Tampa team that he was on trying to recreate that there. I think there's definitely something to that. And, um, he's done a very nice job there. Um, all right, the, uh, uh, we've talked about the, the team builders here. Let's get over to the other one. Let's get over to, uh, to John Schneider here with the Seahawks. 
The ball is hit as it comes out and it's picked off by the Seahawks. Far sideline, Malcolm Smith, 50, 45, he's going to go. 30, nobody's going to touch him. Cuts back, 20, 10. The lead to the move, the Seahawks defense. They do it again. Holy catfish. All right, we've talked plenty about, about Schneider Buck already and how he's built this team. Uh, just real quick, you mentioned your experience with him. Um, I'd love to see if you just had any type of uh, a story, a little note there you could share with us on Schneider and, you know, his background. He obviously uh, came up through the ranks there in, in, in Green Bay where you spent some time with him. Yeah, I got great stories on John Schneider. John Schneider is uh, responsible for extending my career, not only as a player, but getting me started as a scout. As a player, um, I was a wide receiver drafted by the Buffalo Bills. I spent a year there. Um, I was cut uh, going into my second season. And the first workout I had was with the Green Bay Packers. I worked out as a wide receiver, but halfway through that workout, Ron Wolf asked me to backpedal and run some DB drills. I had never played DB. I may played maybe five or six snaps in high school as a defensive back. But my <laughs> experience pretty much primarily was always on offense. Every week on Tuesday, John Snyder would call and ask, how you doing? Are you, would you consider making a move? Hey, we think you could be a nice nickelback. And so this took place for about nine weeks. Finally, in week 15 of that season, they bring me in. Uh, I'm coming in to be a defensive back, but I'm going to make that conversion in the offseason. But John Snyder, through his persistence um, and his needling, kind of nudged me to make a position switch, which really helped me play longer in the National Football League and learn the game differently. Second story. I go to Kansas City. He picks me up. Um, he is the pro director there. I played for him, obviously. I continue to go on and play for the Oakland Raiders. I am now done and retired in 1999. I am considering a career in scouting. I have an opportunity to go interview with the Philadelphia Eagles. I call John Snyder to get advice on what I should do to prepare for that interview. He tells me, hold on, I may have an opportunity with the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> if I have that opportunity, I'm going to bring you there to interview uh, for one of our regional scouting positions. Lo and behold, he gets the job. He brings me up there to interview. I eventually get the job. And my scouting career starts at the knee of John Snyder, Scott McLuhan, and Ted Thompson because of my relationship with John Snyder. Learned so much about the game from those guys, from that experience, and all of it kind of stems from the wisdom of Ron Wolf. So, yeah, a lot of the philosophies that I see with the Seattle Seahawks are the same philosophies that I saw and learned from Ron Wolf doing the Green Bay Packers. Draft and develop. Don't be afraid to be bold, to get what you need. Put the best players on the field. And always, this is something that they typically did in Green Bay, always near the end of the season, see if you can find a veteran player that you can add to the roster. That experience matters when you get into these big games in the postseason. We have seen these guys add players like a Josh Gordon. You want to have that X factor that might, he might just show up to make a play or two that's the deciding factor. All of those things stem from our time together in Green Bay and what the lessons John Snyder learned from working with one of the best in Ron Wolf. Those great stories, Buck. I mean, uh, sustained success. He came from a place in Green Bay where they had that long, sustained run. Uh, now he's done the same thing in Seattle. I, I love it when you have a tried-and-true formula that works, and uh, and John Schneider definitely has that. And plus, uh, bonus points for being uh, for being Bucky's mentor there. So yeah, I, I how about a little, that? Uh, a little bonus love there from from the Move to Six podcast. I love hearing those stories. All right, let's get to these coaches here. Couldn't be any different. You know, Kyle Shanahan, 39 years old. Pete Carroll, 68 uh, years old. Pete, the, uh, the oldest coach in the NFL. But, but what they do, uh, it works. And we can start here with Pete Carroll. 
is one on one if we can get right there, boys. Go Tyler, go Tyler, go Tyler. Go to him, go to him. Go to him. Come on, Barry, Pete, you hear the energy there. Might be the oldest coach in the league, but he's about 30 when it comes to his energy level. Uh, Buck, I, I think the, the fascinating thing about Pete, and we've talked a lot about how they have a, a, a scheme and, and, a, and a prototype for what they look for in players. He had it at USC. He's carried it to Seattle. Knows exactly what he wants. I think it's a compliment. What do they say? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yep. When you look around the league with these two coaches – and if we kind of use Kyle Shanahan because of his dad, Mike Shanahan, how many teams in the NFL are running Pete Carroll's defense? And how many teams in the NFL are running Kyle Shanahan's offense? <laughs> uh, that, to me, tells you all you need to know about the respect these two men have. Yeah, look, well-respected. Look, DJ, we, we, we've talked about um, my high school stuff. Um, I can tell you that I've been greatly influenced and impacted by Pete Carroll um, in terms of just watching how he's been able to build teams, not only at SC, but with Seattle, where when you look at them, they're competitive but, man, it looks like they have a ton of fun. And I think everybody can kind of relate or want to be a part of that. He goes about it in a different fashion than some uh, hard-nosed coaches. He believes in empowering his players. He makes it fun for them. They win at a high level. And they always embrace the big stage. And I think that's something that it takes a lot of confidence, a lot of um, courage to know, like, look, it's a player's game. My job is to put the players in the best position to make plays, then I'm going to get out the way. I'm going to step back and let them do their deal. Pete Carroll has done that, and it's one of the reasons why I think you see his players play with such a fearlessness in the moment. It's a reason why we see Russell Wilson make these big plays because he's not afraid to make a mistake, and he also knows that if I make a mistake, I'm going to have an opportunity to make amends for it, and we saw that happen in the Monday night game through an interception at the end of overtime, gets another opportunity, goes down and makes a play. I think he wouldn't have that courage and fearlessness without playing for a coach that allows him to play through those mistakes. I wrote down EPA when I when I think of Pete Carroll and his strategy. I wrote down EPA: energy, passion, aggression. Uh, that to me is a lot of what you just said right there, Buck. In that he's always attacking. I can remember those USC teams. You go back and watch those USC teams. I, I know they were dominant, but this is before this was something that analytics told you you should do. I can remember those those uh, SC teams third and two on their own or fourth and two on their own thirty. Go for it. You know, fourth and one uh, in the first quarter, go for it. Like, he always was just aggressive, ultra aggressive. Some people say, oh, he's a risk taker. No, it's empowerment, man. He's just showing his team he believes in him. And the team the team took on his personality in terms of the energy and the passion that they played with. Um, and I, I just think those were the three things that really stood out to me about Pete Carroll. Look, I mean, he's one of the best coaches that, that we've seen in the National Football League. And I think he's learned from those failures that happened early in his career in New England, in the Jets, goes to SC, figures it out, has a formula that makes SC the perennial power in college football, takes the same formula, puts it in place in Seattle. After struggling a little bit at the start, we've seen this team, this team consistently compete, not only for playoff bursts, but compete to be a Super Bowl uh, winner. And so with Pete Carroll, I think – what we have learned is that the developmental model works, that you can develop your players, you can practice hard, you can do all these things while still making it fun, and you can win with a young team. He is one with a young team that's energetic. You talked about the EPA, energy, passion, aggressiveness. He has been able to do it. And as 
I think he might be the oldest coach in the National Football League. You wouldn't tell it by the way that yep, he kind of bounces around on the sideline. That is something that we don't see most guys do. He is comfortable in his own skin. And because of that, his players are comfortable in their own skin. They're feelers and they're unafraid. No doubt. Um, let's get over to the other coach there, Kyle Shanahan. Great job, dude. I called Z short. All right, good. Great job. Great drive, fellas. Hell yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of celebration with him having dialed up perfect plays, Buck. Um, he's just – he's a brilliant mind. You talk to anybody that's played for him or been around him. They, there's like an awe that you hear uh, when they talk about Kyle Shannon. You don't hear about other coaches. There's NFL is filled with smart people. Um, but, man, I don't know that anybody uh, in the NFL will say somebody smarter than Kyle Shanahan just in terms of how he sets up a game plan and how he calls plays. Yeah, look, man, I I have a tough time finding a better play caller than Kyle Shanahan. Uh, when you talk to defensive coordinators, they call him a stone-cold killer when it comes to a play caller. He does a great job of creating these compliments in the passing game to go with the running game. And his creativity, we, we talk about the passing game because most, most of us judge offensive coordinators by what they do in the passing game. But his create, if creativity in the running game is what blows my mind. Yes. Um, the pre-snap movement, the shifts, the motions, uh, the way that he is able to kind of put you in a bind defensively while running the same six core running plays is brilliant. And there's something to his simplicity with the exotic stuff around it. Kyle Shanahan re remains consistently one step ahead of the posse. And I think that's a credit to his acumen and to just his overall intelligence when it comes to putting together an offensive game plan. Yeah, he has something that works, and everything builds off of that, and he can give you different formations and motions and try and dress everything up, but it's really some core things he believes in. Uh, but it's a little subtleties to me that, that stand out when you watch them on tape, Buck. Like, I'm watching that game, this game on tape, and when you're, when you're uh, back there in the gun and you've got the back, and then uh, all of a sudden, just a couple a couple counts before the snap, he just starts shuffling to his right because he's just running a flat, and he's going to give himself a better angle to be able to leverage the linebacker who he's going to have in coverage. It's just those little, little teaching points to me that, that make a difference. And I think the, the attention to detail, um, that's something that Kyle Shanahan, that's his calling card. Look, that is his calling card. He does a great job of creating – favorable angles for his players, be it in the running yes. game or the passing game. And then the misdirection action that he uses in the passing game to dial up these big plays. There are things that you're like, man, this concept is unbelievable. <laughs> like in terms of the way he sneaks the tight end out the back oh, door, yeah. then he goes up the sideline off a play action fake and throws back. And these plays, when they hit, they hit for big plays, chunk plays. And so it's kind of the, the, the control chaos that I call their offense is controlled in terms of it's a deliberate physical running game, but the exotic compliments in the passing game blow your mind as a defensive coordinator. No doubt. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job there, and he's, he's made good staff hires as well, showing he knows how to build out uh, staff there on the defensive side of the ball, um, position coaches, you name it, done a beautiful job of building that coaching staff. All right, man, this has been a, uh, a deep dive and a fun episode on two powerhouses in the NFC, everything you need to know about them in terms of how they've built their team. Um, all right, we got to do this more often. We'll find another big game later in the year. Maybe we can do the same thing again. But uh, that was fun, man, taking a little deep dive. Yeah, it was outstanding talking about these two teams. I, I, I think when you look at these teams, we can talk about them being built the right way, draft and develop, make trades to get marquee players, uh, have good coaches, develop the players, and more importantly, don't be afraid uh, to put the ball in your best players' hands. These teams do that, which is why they sit atop the NFC. 
Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a little review and a rating there. Uh, we do appreciate it. If you have any questions for us, you can drop them in those reviews, and we will answer them on uh, Thursday podcast as we go through the remainder of the season. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, uh, Big thanks to Nabil putting uh, a lot of this work in on this podcast. Um, we, who we got? We've got Bartlett. We've got Kent. Uh, we've got Mark Brady at the top of it. We've got uh, – I always like to thank Singer, even though we didn't have a guest on this episode, just because I like the guy, even though he's a Dodger fan. Um, anyways, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Buck? No, nah, man, it's terrific. I love these kind of projects. Anytime we have an opportunity to kind of pop up the hood and see – how these teams are built, that is always in my wheelhouse. I love doing these team-building things. All right. That's going to do it for us. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Turns out, a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals, and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.